Hi, Emerald listeners. This is Jamie Deep, the Daily Emerald podcast editor, reminding you that this show talks about dating and sex and relationships. And as a result of that, sometimes the topics can get a little serious. With that said, we wanted to give a little content warning that between two minutes and 30 seconds and five minutes and 30 seconds is talk of harassment. So if you feel the need to skip that section, please feel free to do so. Enjoy the episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to That's What She Said. It's springtime, and in light of the warmer weather approaching, we want to talk about self-confidence and beauty standards, specifically at PWIs like Oregon. Just for anyone who doesn't know, a PWI is a predominantly white institution. This is any school that has a larger white population than its minority population. And for context, that is most American universities that are not HBCUs. So today we're going to have a guest at the end. Hannah Conscious will be joining us. She's the head of DEI for Greek Life. And I will also be interviewed by Monica about my experience as a biracial black woman at the University of Oregon. So Monica, obviously it's really hard to be fully confident when you're on a college campus surrounded by all these people to compare yourself to, um, especially when you're out at the gym, at parties, when you feel exposed. Um, I know you wrote an article about body image and gym culture a few months back. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I guess you can call me a gym baddie. I like to go to the gym a lot. Um, And it definitely has been a whole journey. Like, usually for the first, like, year that you really start going to the gym consistently, it's really hard to get, like, comfortable with yourself. And, like, you're always thinking, like, oh, I look so stupid. People are looking at me. These girls look better than me. Especially, like, during quarantine when I gained a little more weight, you know, I always compared my body to other girls. Um, And now it's been a whole journey where I feel a lot more comfortable in the gym. I'm able to lift heavy weights next to the gym bras and feel like a bad bitch. (laughs) But even with the confidence, though, there are times as a woman in the gym setting, it can be very intimidating and uncomfortable due to men, of course. For example, according to a Guardian article I read this past week, actually 76% of women feel uncomfortable exercising in public due to harassment. And then 56% of women reported feeling harassment during workout. Yeah, I've literally been at the YMCA at home in high school with my dad working out and I'll have fully grown like 30-year-old men approach me. And I'm like, hey, that's my dad over there. And they're like, I don't care. <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous. And I know you had an incident here at the rec um, on our campus a little while back. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, y'all, story time. Okay, so I was in the bench area, you know, doing arms, which is like can be very intimidating for women to do because, you know, it's normally men that work out their arms. That's like kind of the stigma. Um, and I was working out, doing arms, doing weights. And these two bras take the brunch, uh, the benches next to me on either side. And one of them has like the bench face the other way. And basically moral of the story is that another dude came up and approached me and told me, oh, the dude next to you is doing weird things on his phone, implying that he was recording 
my Obviously, ass. that's horrible, but more so, how did that, like, affect your self-image and confidence at the gym after that? I know you were pretty shaken up. Definitely. I, for a while, okay, after that happened, I just, like, packed up and left and then just went upstairs. Um, but for, like, a solid, like, two weeks, I just, like, kind of, like, felt gross in my body and I would, like, put my gym clothes on and I would even come into, like, Sophia's room and be like, does this look okay? I feel like gross. I feel like exposed. I feel like people are looking at me and I felt like very uncomfortable in my own body. Even though I didn't do anything wrong, I just felt like, I don't know. I feel like when you get harassed like that, you just feel very gross in yourself and like a weird feeling of guilt, even though you didn't do anything wrong. Right. And I think that's also a very common misconception when it comes to things like harassment and being catcalled. It's not flattering. And a lot of people are like, well, why don't like, at least it means you look hot when it's like, an effect that made you feel gross and like overly sexualized and no one wants to be overly sexualized by someone they don't know and someone they're not welcoming not from and I think it's really important to show that like you did not feel good after that you felt gross because that was unwanted and super violating to be filmed as well and one of like the most annoying things I always hear is like when something does happen like that you always hear from like Usually the older generation, they're like, well, you're a pretty girl, so that's just going to happen. you got to get used to it. And I'm like, no, that's not something I should be having to get used to. Right. And it's also like that was happening from someone our age who knows better. And that's not to give excuses for adults but <clears throat> and older generations, but it's like these people have grown up in an age where we are against catcalling or against that type of behavior and they know better. <laughs> On the other side of body image, outside of the gym, there are definitely set beauty standards in college campuses and the dating scene and hookup scene. So, Sophia, can you start by telling us a bit about what it is like dealing with beauty standards at a PWI versus where you grew up? Yeah, so for context, I grew up in Oakland, um, which is an almost predominantly black city. Um, it's just incredibly diverse. My high school was the largest public high school in Oakland. It was equally divided by race, 25% each way. And going from there to my first year of college, I went to a school that was even whiter than the University of Oregon. And it was on the coast, and it was like tan, blonde, skate, like it was the whole nine yards. And I spent like my entire life being like very uplifted by the people around me. If you're a beautiful black woman in Oakland, like everyone will tell you when you walk up the streets, everyone is super supportive, kind of regardless of like whatever the Eurocentric standard might be in like certain spaces of America, like in mm -hmm. Oakland, it's very embracing of like uniqueness and being different. And just like, also if you spend time around people of all cultures, you're not gonna have one standard of beauty. Coming to college, it was definitely an adjustment. I mean, I always knew in my head, like, you know, things like Greek life are really prominent on campus. And like also the people that participate in the things I like to do on college, like I like to go out, I like to party. That kind of at PWIs tends to be even a wider segment of the university. Um, and so there was definitely like a lot of comparing myself to other girls when I was at school. You know, I go to parties and it's like, I remember the first time I went to a frat at Cal Poly where I used to go. I was humid and I didn't realize frats were humid and my hair was straightened and my hair blew up. It was like completely tangled, nappy, blowed up. And I was just looking around and I was like, fuck, like... <laughs> Now I really stick out. Um, and it was just like that, always at Cal Poly. It was like, I look a little different. My body's built a little different. Like, it wasn't like, at the same time, like, I fit into a lot of standards of beauty 
regardless of race. Like, I'm a mm -hmm. smaller framed person, like, things like that. But it's also, like, that really highlighted differences when that's, like, all year around, pretty much. Definitely. I mean, how do you still remain confident and navigate things, especially, like, the hookup scene when you know that you aren't considered the standard at a PWI? Yeah, I think it took a lot of, like, relearning and re-embracing that confidence that I was kind of taught when I was growing up. Like, there was definitely the couple initial months where it was, like, kind of taking me back to, like, when you're younger and you realize you look different than other people and things like that. And it's relearning sort of, like, how to embrace, like, why you look different and why it's great. Um, like, for example, when I was getting ready for this podcast today, I was just looking at, like, different statistics of, like, body image confidence amongst different races. And so after looking um, through, like, some journals of eating disorders and different, like, sociology studies, I actually did find that black women over the age of 25 report having the highest satisfaction with their bodies and body image compared to women in any other racial and ethnic group. And after looking at those studies, it was really kind of synthesized down to the point that like in the black community, they embrace more things like a curvaceous body type, like any body type. And they don't subscribe to like the Eurocentric standard, which allows you to be happier with yourself because mm -hmm. if you put yourself in a box, you can never be in that's kind of just going to set you up for failure. So I think that is kind of something I thought about. But the study also did say, like, black women in college still carry these ideals just as much as white students because that's the environment they're in. So it is, like, a lot easier to embrace yourself and love yourself when you're around other people that look like you. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think for me, when coming to college, especially once I got to Oregon after my experience at my old college, I was a lot more confident and it's like I can go out and I'll be like wow you know I can do 15 different things with my hair at once and I can look a certain way and I can be a different person on any night and that's kind of like a black woman power thing you can do you can completely change your appearance and your hair based on your mood not many people can do that it's just like looking at things like that mm -hmm. and kind of just having to embrace it because I always say and like when I talk to my other friends that are like people of color at probably white institutions it's always like you're never going to get as many guys if that's your goal or your objective or get as many people to come talk to you as the skinny blonde white woman at a bar. As yeah. long as you're at a school like Oregon or at a big party school or something like that. Like that's just the reality of the place we're in sometimes. So it's just never, it's never going to be healthy to compare yourself. It's not that you're less beautiful more. It's just different. And once you stop doing that, it's a lot easier. What kind of times do you really feel like the reality being at Oregon that is like, the place where white women are the standard of beauty? I think like a lot of it is Greek life and just like parties in general that have a lot of white students. It's like mm -hmm. certain frats when we go out to party. I can tell and I think a lot of people think you can't tell as a person of color when people aren't looking at you fully as an equal. It's not like a super like you're discriminatory in your race. It's just, it's just like they're looking at all your friends as sexual beings mm -hmm. and they're not seeing you as a sexual being. Yeah. Um, and it's like avoiding eye contact. They're talking to you guys, but you can tell they're not talking to you. They're hitting on the group, but they're not hitting on you. And it's kind of like innately with that, they don't want to converse with you. And it's like realizing that a lot of people, if you're not their type or the type they subscribe to, like straight up will just not socialize with you at a party because their main goal is to like hook up with someone. I remember you like bringing up a specific time, like in sophomore year, um, we would go to, I will not name the frat, um, but we had a lot of friends in this fraternity, and we all felt comfortable because we were close with the brothers. 
but you always mentioned that like all of them just completely ignored your existence and wouldn't speak to you and acted like they didn't know who you were, even though they knew you were with us. Yeah. And the funniest thing was when we first started going to that frat, I had my hair up in twists and braids. And then halfway through the year, I straightened my hair and took it out. And all of a sudden, all these guys that would never speak to me before somewhat acknowledge my existence a little bit more, which mm-hmm. just goes to show once you look a little closer to what the Greek life standard of beauty is, that people are more willing to speak with you, which also just kind of talks about another whole issue, which is that men don't want to see women as like a person unless it's for sexual desire. A thousand percent. So I know I kind of mentioned this earlier, but fetishization is also a very big thing that happens at predominantly white institutions when you get a bunch of essentially white men and women who have not been around people of color a lot in their lives and all of a sudden it's something fun and new and the whole college experimentation trope comes into play because that also includes gay people but it also includes people of color and that idea of like experimentation. Can you explain fetishization? Um, I feel like a lot of people actually don't know what that is. Yeah, so I mean, for me, I would define it kind of just as you are, it's sexual, Mm -hmm. um, first of all, and it's like you are seeking this person out sexually, not based on their character or any like emotional feeling. It's sort of you're seeking them out because they have a physical trait or identity that is appealing to you and you kind of want to experiment on. And it's like you're not, basically the reason it's problematic is you're not seeking them out for your own reason. You're seeking it out for like, kind of something to like cross off your checklist or it's like you aren't deeming them as a full person exactly you're kind of diminishing them to that part of their identity and that's why you want to hook up with them Mm -hmm. um what kind of times have you encountered this issue personally um I mean like sometimes I'll just be like even at a party I remember my freshman year a guy was like I was talking to him, and I, I looked ethnically ambiguous, like my hair is straightened. I get all different types of assumptions on my race when my hair is pressed, and mm-hmm. he was, like, trying to guess my race, which is already just, like, gross. Like, why are you doing that? <laughs> and then I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm half black, and he was like, oh, like, never hooked up with a black girl before, like, da 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 like, <laughs> insinuating he wanted to check it off of his list, essentially, and, like, yeah, that's obviously, like, overt fetishization, but I also, like, I think people think people can't tell when they're being fetishized, but I think most people of color can tell Mm -hmm. when someone is, like, a little too interested in it. It's, like, you look at them, and they seem, like, they're saying things that are ignorant, but they're continuing to pursue you. Mm -hmm. Like, I've had men be, like, overtly, like, racist towards black people while trying to hook up with me, and it's, like, okay, so... (laughs) Something isn't clicking here. Something is really <laughs> not clicking here. Right. And, you know, it's like sometimes I'll have my hair in twists like this. And it's like they, people might not realize that they're being fetishized. And they'll come up and be like, oh, my God, like, I love your hair. It's so ethnic. Like, mm-hmm. things like that where it's like you're obviously singling someone out because they have ethnic features and things that are, like, interesting to you. And it's a fine line between, like, appreciation and fetishization. Like, yeah. obviously, if I'm with someone inside of my race, I want them to appreciate like things that make me unique, but also mm-hmm. I don't want them to have this weird fascination with it that's like sexual and kind of ignorant, you know? Definitely. So I also have a question for you. Um, as a white woman who has dated men of all races, how do you kind of navigate this concept of fetishization? Yeah, so I would say one of the biggest red flags I encounter 
um, is specifically with men of color. Um, they only talk to white women, which is so, so red flag. And a lot of people don't get that, why that is such an issue. But I mean, it's basically saying that like their type is only white women because they don't find any other like women of color is beautiful. Um, for example, like literally last week, a man on Tinder, the first thing he says to me is, I think I found my snow bunny. And I'm like, oh my God. Or on their hinge profiles, they'll be like, things I like, snow bunnies. Or other times I get weird sexual comments about me regarding like a white feature. And I'm like, oh, okay. So like, yeah, I, I see like what kind of guy you are. Right. And I think like a lot of people are like, oh, it's just a racial preference. You So we can't have preferences now. That's like one of the typical comments I see mm-hmm. in like TikTok when people talk about like, why that's problematic. They're like, oh, so you're not allowed to have a racial preference. But I think a lot of the times, like, especially for black men that want to date white women, there's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. it's when they actively put down other races and, like, black women, their counterpart in pursuit of a white woman when it becomes really problematic. Definitely. And the thing that upsets me the most is when I do see white women who do date men of color, which is obviously not a bad thing. Like, right. we love, I love all men, like, no matter who it is. But I know it's definitely for the wrong reasons. Like, the most iconic thing they'll say is, I want mixed babies. Lord. <laughs> I, there's so many issues with that. Um, and so I just, I don't know, I'll, like, walk around campus, especially, like, in PWI, and I just see these white shoddies, and they're with men of color. And I just, I just get this weird feeling I'm like "Mm, that's sorry I hate this word but that's a snow bunny because yeah you can like date them but like you also have to like I don't know put in the other work kind of like put in the other work and actually like stand for their rights and like see them as an equal but I know a lot of like white women like they'll do the whole BBC you know like date these men because like they're experimenting and they like think they're really attractive for like sexual reasons but then you know once it's once they graduate and it's time to settle down, they'll go back to marry right. a white man. Exactly. And that comes the whole thing of, like, black men aren't – it feeds into so many stereotypes of, like, black men not being as, like, secure and intelligent, which is all just, like, such fucked up things when it's, like, mm-hmm. I want to experiment with this person for sex, but I settle down with their person. Like, what does that say about the person you're having sex with, basically? Definitely. And, like, I think it's just – it makes me sad when I do have, like, men of color, like – kind of it's like these comments they make about like they'll say like something about like them being like a man of color and I just know I'm like I feel you're over sexualizing yourself and like what is what do you right. call that you know what I'm saying no I get what and they just saying. don't see an issue with it but I'm like I know like I don't know it's yeah like internalized like, it's racism. definitely internalized racism that's yeah. the problem I think when a lot of like black women have when because the, there's like a lot of animosity from the community towards these white women that are dating black men. And some of it's, like, not properly directed. It's mm-hmm. The problem is, like, black men and the black community within itself kind of need to do some healing and reconciling because, again, there is a way to date outside of your race mm-hmm. while still uplifting people within your race. Like, and I just see this, and I'm like, your mom is a black woman. How do you think she would feel when you're on TikTok making these comments about how you don't want to date a black woman because they're too loud? But that's who raised you. No, Um, exactly. And, you know, it's just, like, it's very simple steps to, like, dating someone outside your race without putting down people within your race. Even if that's not your dating preference, you don't need to say all that and say a stereotype and perpetuate racism. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard. And so my biggest advice, white shoddies, is 
date a man for the right reasons. Don't just do it because, you know, you're sexually attracted to them for horrible reasons. Right, exactly. Just don't be racist, guys. <laughs> That's all. That's the moral of the story today. <laughs> So now we're going to be speaking with our guest, Hannah Conscious, who is the diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Panhellenic community at UO, meaning Greek life. Yes, only for sororities, though. Let's be specific. Oh. Okay. Um, tell me a little about yourself, Hannah, your year, pronouns, identity, all that jazz. Yeah, so my name is Hannah. I'm from Los Angeles, California. I'm a junior. I'm studying business administration with a concentration in marketing and a minor in media studies. So yeah, I am kind of a part of SOJC. Yeah. <laughs> um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm about to be 21 years old. Woo. Yeah. All right. So Hannah, to just start out, can you just describe your position a little bit and kind of what your basic responsibilities are as DEI? Yeah, so first in Theta, I started off as a DEI. Um, I had no intentions to run for a position ever in my sorority, um, but they offered me the position, and I was actually really excited about it, and um, it gave me a really great opportunity to just really connect with my culture and my race, and now I'm like a proud Latina. I feel like before that, I was just, I didn't know really like what the difference was between being a minority and like not and I feel like this opportunity like really gave me a chance to understand what it means to be a woman of color and so this year I'm on the Panhellenic Executive Council for PHC and I do basically the same thing um I educate the members of like our council about like DEI issues and I like just educate them about like events and like heritage months that are going on and like stuff that's going on around campus about DEI and stuff. Yeah. What kind of motivated you to run for this job? I mean, let's make a note. Um, this is the first time in the history of Panhellenic community at U of O that a DEI position has existed. So Hannah's the first one. Woo! <laughs> but why did you want to run for this job? I think it's really important for women to understand that just because of the color of your skin or because you may be different than everybody else, that you deserve to have as much of a great experience as anybody does, as any white woman does. Um, at first I wasn't going to, it was, it's a little daunting thinking about being in charge of 11 chapters on campus, but I felt that I had it in me and I had the passion to educate all these women and the community, FSL included, just about what it means to be a person of color. And I think that's really important. And as we just, you know, like grow as a generation and as a society, like it's really important to understand what it means to be a person of color, what it means to be educated. And I thought I had it in me to do exactly that. So why do you think DI is so important in Greek life, specifically at UO, which is a predominantly white institution? Yeah, so I think everybody knows by now that <laughs> Greek life, especially sorority life, was founded by predominantly white women. And like I said before, it's really important that women of color get an equal opportunity to have an amazing experience. And they shouldn't, just because of the color of their skin, because of their differences, because of their race, because of their background, because of their gender, or anything like that, that shouldn't like halt or, or like halt the experience that they're able to have. Have you ever yourself felt unincluded um, because of your identity in Greek life? Not even in just your own chapter, but just all of Greek life at parties or social events? 
Yeah, so this is a really good question. This is like, I feel like this was something that I was really thinking about before like coming here. Um, so where I grew up, it was, everybody was pretty much Hispanic. I always grew up around Hispanic people. My area, LA County, mainly Hispanic people. So like elementary school, middle school, high school, everybody was Hispanic pretty much. And so coming here, I seen that UO advertises, oh my gosh, like we, you know, like we're all about diversity, we're all about inclusion, like here are our minority rates, like here's this, here's what we do. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a great like opportunity for me to go out of state and go to college while like also getting that experience of like being, really being a minority. Cause like I said before, since Hispanic people were the main population where I grew up, it was my opportunity to see what it's like on the outside world and the real world, real world and what it's like to be a minority. And so when I first moved into the dorms, I kid you not, this was an experience that I had on several occasions, multiple times, where people would just, I would introduce myself to somebody that I would meet and they would just kind of look at me and like squint their eyes at me, tilt their head and be like, oh my gosh, are you Latina? Are you Hispanic? <laughs> as if they've never seen a brown person in their life. As if, <laughs> as if I was some like, foreign creature from like Mars or something and I feel like that's when it really set in and like just being like I'm different yeah, and right. I feel like that's where I first kind of felt like set apart from everybody else. I think literally every person of color has had that moment. I remember when I first got to Cal Poly I think like people didn't understand like mixed race people existing and also just like black people having like interests outside of like the stereotypes in their head because I remember I went to I surfed and I remember I went to like a little surf gathering for like finding about clubs and stuff and everyone was kind of just like black people surf like that was just the look on their face like it was like I was Yikes. the only person of color there <laughs> they were all staring at me I could tell like we were talking in the conversations they're all kind of like doubting my ability and I'm like oh your yeah. side eye yeah. does not fit into Bombastic your image. side eye. <laughs> oh God. Kind of leading into the next question. So tokenism is a big tendency in Greek life. Can you talk about this? Have you ever experienced it? Yeah, totally. So just in case if anybody doesn't know what tokenism is, it's basically singling out a person who is a minority or anything like that and basically using, using them like to say that they met their quota. So say if you are doing recruitment and a person of color comes to your chapter and you'd say, oh, like, we got this many, like, people of color, we're so diverse. Like, that's basically what tokenism <laughs> is. I don't think I've ever personally experienced it, but I think it does exist. And I feel like it is really prevalent, especially in schools like the South, because um, you see all those girls, you see those Instagram pictures and it's like all these white girls and then maybe like one brown or black girl and then they mm -hmm. claim that they're diverse, but they're really not. The thing I always think about, it's like, I don't know, it's like a 50-50 kind of situation where it's like, I think it's great when a president of a chapter is not white and a woman of color, but at the same time, it also looks like, oh my God, we're so diverse. Like, look at it, we're promoting, we're so inclusive. We have a black yeah. president. That's what I'm saying. So I'm like, it's great, but it's also like, I know it's not actually, like, the intentions are always pure. Yeah, I think it just has to get to a point where enough people of color feel comfortable joining. So it's not the first thing that's on our head when we see a president of color because that's problematic, but also we're all thinking it because of how the system has been set up, basically. I feel like that's why it's really important to, I guess, what you can say is put your words into action 
and to really show like, hey guys, like this is what we're doing as a chapter to promote DEI, to promote our members being educated. And here's the steps that we do. Here's the events we hold. Here's what we talk about at our meetings and like whatnot. So I know that's a personal goal of mine is we say we're so diverse. We say we're so inclusive, but let's show how we can do that by not just like reaching out to people who other chapters who are part of Panhellenic, but also our multicultural sororities and our black sororities and whatnot and collaborating with them because like all in all, like we're all a part of the FSL community. Do you ever deal with cases of like DEI from, or is that handled by like each chapter? Like if yeah. someone, that's handled yeah. by the chapter. Well, you. Did you ever encounter like in your own chapter? Yeah, and I feel again, that it's just a really daunting thing to do because we're all supposed to be, you know, sisters and we're all supposed to be nice to one another, but that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just really important and you got to think of, of it as not like necessarily scolding, but educating and correcting so that they know for future for the future that not to make that same mistake again because some people just really don't know. And it's not saying it's an excuse because it's not. But it's really important to correct those things that may have happened and to use that for them to grow as a person and for them to become more educated and knowledgeable. Perfectly said. So, Hannah, before we let you go, we have started off this podcast talking about beauty standards. We've talked about beauty standards in the gym, Greek life, kind of just at predominantly white institutions in general. Um, As a woman of color, do you have anything to add about, like, how you perceive yourself in the standards of beauty at UO and what your experiences have been with that? Yeah, so like I also talked about before in high school, every like every girl was Hispanic. Like that was the beauty standard, you know, tan, dark skin, dark hair, brown eyes. And I feel like when I came here, I, it was a little bit of a culture shock because everybody is tall, blonde and beautiful and, you know, like skinny and fit. Um, so I feel like that was really hard for me personally. And this is actually something I've never shared before. But, you know, like like every like UO class has like their like class page and like mm-hmm. everybody posts their pictures like introducing themselves and like hey I'm so and so from so and so I'm looking for a roommate mm-hmm. well I see all these pictures of these girls and they're all so beautiful and blonde and tan and blue eyes and blonde hair and I remember being like oh my god like like <laughs> I do not look like these girls and I just remember being like I have to dye my hair as blonde as I possibly can <laughs> in order to fit in with these like with all the rest of these girls or else like I'm just gonna stick out and I'm just not I'm gonna look stupid basically so like I remember just bleaching my hair before (laughs) I'm moving up here to Oregon just to like try and fit in but I think it's like really important to understand that you know everybody's beautiful and unique in their own way and I also think that social media has a lot a lot of influence on that because for example, like Alex Earl, like obviously I think mm-hmm. she's fabulous. She's beautiful. She's fabulous. No hate to her. I watch her videos all the time. But you see someone like that and you you automatically put into your head, okay, in order to live this lavish life and get all these brand deals and to go on these free trips, like I have to look exactly like this girl does. And you don't really see a lot of influencers who are people of color. Like, yes, there are some and I could think of some, but you don't see them getting as much hype as people as Alex Earl do. Yeah. Right. If that and makes sense. Exactly. And a lot of times when I think of, it's interesting you brought up Alex Earl because I remember when she st- first started becoming popular, it's kind of the concept, it's like, yes, she's beautiful and everything in her own right. But it's also like the concept that like 
a white woman only has to do so little to get like a certain amount of recognition as well. Um, yeah. Versus like there are so many other creators of color who by any standard, it's obviously there's not one, but it's like are equally as beautiful and fabulous and fun, but it's like just a lot easier. Um, yeah. Just because like everyone views her beauty, not everyone, but society views her beauty as the most prized. So mm -hmm. it's easier for her to get things and get her foot in the door. I also feel like that's where the culture, culture vultures come in. If you guys, do you guys know what that is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically somebody who kind of steals aesthetics and adopts like certain styles from one like group Cultural and appropriation. like, yeah. like yeah. kind of claims it as their own. So like the clean girl aesthetic that's going around the slick back hair, the gold chunky hoops. Like that was, that came from black and brown like women and they established that style. But then there's people like Hailey Bieber kind of claiming it as their own brand. And like a couple years ago, like if you would see a woman wearing gold chunky hoops and her hair slicked back and the brownie colored lip, like mm -hmm. she's automatically labeled as ghetto. Right. But then a white woman does it, and she's labeled as being a clean girl. Right. And also when a white woman does it, it becomes beautiful and something everyone wants to do. It's which funny is just, you're saying that, yeah. too, is because I feel like there was an article that literally came out about it, like, recently, about, like, the clean girl aesthetic and how everyone is trying to, like, be the clean girl aesthetic and how it's, like, at least when I think of it now, like, everyone thinks of, like, sorority girls as having this, like, clean girl aesthetic, this, like, back hair and the hoops and stuff. So it's just funny that, like, they've claimed that as their own here yeah and it's mainstream acceptable now that it's yeah. been deemed beautiful on a white woman essentially um hannah and obviously now you are no longer platinum blonde so i'm, <laughs> I'm assuming you've went through some transformations of your own um since you arrived here and just like what was your process of like trying to become more confident obviously it's always a work in process when you're in a place like oregon but how did you kind of become more confident in yourself after that initial shock of coming here? Yeah, I really feel, again, that my position, my D, both of my DEI positions have really helped me appreciate who I am and helped me appreciate my culture. And it was really hard letting go of that blonde hair. Like, I was blonde. I was so blonde. And the transition <laughs> back was kind of painful just because I literally killed my hair. But I think I came to realize that the right people will love you for who you are if you surround yourself with the right people. And that if they don't want to hang out with you just because of who you are, your ethnicity, the color of your skin, then those aren't the right people to hang out with. And those aren't the right people who are going to be lifting you up and making you feel beautiful. Like, you guys make me feel beautiful. <laughs> you guys tell me that, like, every weekend that I'm beautiful. <laughs> love but, you, Hannah. Um, yeah, that's what I think. I just, I think it was a really, it was a really long process of, like, learning to love myself. And, like, I still feel like I'm going through that. And it's still, it's still hard at times. But, um... I feel, again, that these positions that I've held have really helped me appreciate who I am and because also that I want to help others, like, love themselves, too, because, again, everybody deserves an amazing college experience, even if they're a minority. Right. And I also think just, like, to end our conversation on beauty standards, it's important to mention that, like, when women of color talk about, like, feeling not enough and feeling, like, comparison, it's not to say that they aren't super prideful of their identity like no time along the way did I say I wish I was white no I love being black and I'm sure Hannah feels the same way about being Latina but it's more so just like the space you're in we're also young women and like beauty is deemed really important by society on us so obviously you're going to compare yourself to others that's the stage of adolescence we're in that's not really anyone's fault 
But it's never to say, like, we're not prideful in our own identity as well. Right. So, yeah. Like we said, to sum it up, don't be racist. Um, don't perpetuate all the things we have sat here and talked about today, now that you've been made aware of three different people's experiences at Oregon. Um, let's, let's continue to bring the good vibes and appreciate everyone. Now you're aware, take this knowledge with you, and keep listening to our podcast. You can find us on the Daily Emerald website or on Spotify under Daily Emerald Podcast, um, and we'll be back in two weeks. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Love ya.